to another episode of Sighting the Tone and your retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and with me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today, we'll be discussing Season 10, Episode 16, which is titled Forgive and Forget. The episode aired on February 26, 2004. Lauren was going that week 20 years ago. Uh, current events are that I was really confused. For some reason, I was expecting you to introduce the lounge. That's where I'm at. Uh, one of the... <laughs> I was like, what? Okay. Patreon.com slash Until Podcast. Unintentional plug. Uh, one of the higher profile early gay marriages took place as actor comedian Rose actor slash comedian Rosie O'Donnell married Kelly Carpenter, a former marketing executive at Nickelodeon. The couple had a total of four adopted children during their time together, and even though their marriage would later be voided by the California Supreme Court, boo, along with thousands of others, the couple remained together until 2007. Uh, moviegoers were apparently really into seeing Jesus tortured as the Passion of the Christ debuts and beats out fellow newcomers Eurotrip, Welcome to Mooseheart, and Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen for the box office crown. The movie is also one of the most profitable movies of all time, earning a worldwide total of $650 million on a budget of only $30 million. Yes, Miss Lizzie, I see your hand is raised. Am I the only one who has seen Welcome to Mooseheart over 20 times? I have no idea what the fuck yeah, that movie I, even unintentionally, is. Unintentionally, I just because it was on TNT and TBS all the fucking time during the weekends, and my dad loved that movie. I couldn't, I assumed it was a sequel to Braveheart. I have <laughs> I have no idea what it is, what it's about, whether it's It's any a good. comedy like about some like lodge in oh, of course. like Alaska that or tracks. something like that and starring Ray Romano. Oh. Oh, oh yeah, that tracks. Oh. Uh with that being said, Outcast's reign of terror over the music charts is over as Slow Jams by Twista featuring Kanye West and Jamie Foxx as the number one song for its first and only weeks. And Lizzie has left me with this teaser that makes me horrified and titillated. Next week, parties of all kinds from proms to weddings will be changed forever. I cannot wait for next week. I'm not even going to try and look it up or guess. I am so excited to learn this with you listeners. One national nightmare ends and a new one begins hmm. two weeks later. I'm still really happy that we survived good riddance. I mean, Very I mean, happy. I had the time of my life. I don't know what you're talking about. Jesus fucking Christ. Daniel, what else was on? At 8 p.m., friends with the episode The One with Princess Consuela. At 8.30, Will and Grace with the first half of a two-parter uh, titled Flip Flop. And at nine, The Apprentice with the episode Ice Escapades. Uh, this week's episode had 21.8 million viewers tuning in, directed by Chris Chulock doing his 26th out of 43. Previous ones of his from this season include Makemba, Freefall, Dear Abby, and The Lost, uh, and written by Bruce Miller, closing out his run of four episodes as a writer on the show. Uh, last time we saw him was late season nine with no strings attached. And no, we our, our brief moment in the sun last week where we had all main cast members present for the episode, just that one week is all we get because we're right back to having a couple of people on the bench this week. This week it's Susan and Galat. All right. Uh, previously on is brought to us by Corday this week because, hey, she actually is a character this week. Um... We open with her having dinner at her beau's house. This is the teacher whose uh, daughter is friends with Ella. Um, they they have a very sweet thing. Um, making shitty small talk, great. He assumes she likes Indian food because she's British. It's just it's a very sweet like actual early date interaction, and then they they end up 
you know, kissing and everything. And as they're kissing, they pull away and their daughters are standing right there. And they're like, we're tired of coloring. And dad's like, all right, let's put on a movie to which Corday kind of gives him a thirsty, like, I want to smooch more look. We'll see. <laughs> I, but. I, I, I will say this with complete uh, full disclosure that I don't remember anything about where this uh, little storyline goes and how it ends. I'm, sh- I'm assuming it's either with a wet fart or badly. Uh, but I'll say, <laughs> this, uh, I'll say this right now. This is fine. This is totally This is adorable. Like, this is fine. Well, not just that this is fine in the moment, but like I'm good with this as a bookend. Like let like yeah. let's just let her be happy and let her fade away into the sunset with a new husband and a new little homemade family. Like why do we have to prolong this? Like why do we have to drag this out any further? Like let's just let her have this and let her go away quietly. Cuz she's got to have Drama. a cishet love triangle with Two with two guys, obviously. Gay buzzwords. Let's go. Uh, but then uh, we go over to Luca getting out of the shower, and he walks out, and we see some good uh, primetime foggy naked lady with because there's a woman in his sh- naked was just where I'm at right now. A woman is in the shower after the one he just got out of. Looks like he has a lady friend over, but it's apparently it's not Sam because we hear a knock at the door. He opens it, and Sam's there. Uh, she wants to go for dinner and is all like, oh, I should have called first. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I'm so embarrassed. And he's like, I can't. I can't go. Sorry. It's real awkward. And it's like, I kept waiting for Jillian to walk out. But he's just like, okay, sorry. I'll talk to you at work. And yeah, it's great. It'll be fine. This totally also- goes well. I have so many words about this later on in the episode. Oh, my God. Also, apparently this is worthy of Twinkles. Right? It did. Would have thought drama. Yeah, it does. Luca does seem sleeping like sleeping with another woman. Does seem like slightly inappropriate did, twinkles. I put Twinkies instead of Twinkles. All right, fam. <laughs> yeah, make sure you change that because when I go to do fucking uh, end of the season stats, when I do a control F for Twinkles <laughs> and, and Twinkie doesn't, uh, Twinkies doesn't show up, I'm gonna be pissed. I got it. <laughs> All right. Well, after the intro, a man in the ER is screaming for meds. Uh, he says the VA burned his records, but he's in a large amount of pain. He's basically drug seeking. Uh, Morris calls we him think. on his bolt. <laughs> Who knows? Yep. I, this there's there's clearly more wrong with this man than he's got a lot going what's on. What's at the surface level? Because um, Morris calls him on his bullshit, and the guy leaves saying he's going to kill Morris. Yeah, and this in hilarious fashion. This is like, along with last week's episode, this is apparently like the interstellar portion of the season where time uh, timelines are getting warped and like times passing at a slightly different rate than what we're expecting it to. Because this is the second week in a row that I've been like, "Holy shit, this we're doing this already!" Yep. Like, I I didn't realize that that we were gonna get the uh, the the, the hyper hyperbaric chamber episode what? one week and then immediately follow it with the tank episode. The why does the my stupid brain keep wanting to say bariatric? It's hyperbaric. Why why am I so hooked on that wrong word? I don't know. But our patient here, Mister Welling, who will become a central focus of this episode for better or worse. Uh, is played by actor James Leo Ryan, who appeared in stuff like The Blacklist, Law & Order SVU, and NCIS. Kind of made the uh, the rounds of the forgettable TV uh, one-off appearance kind of circuit. Not forgettable here. Yeah, not not forgettable. At least at least the episode itself. Like, and I will say, so once I realized what episode this was, I was terrified. 
because I was <laughs> I was like this is going to be terrible because like I didn't really remember it at, but I remembered it, it its reputation preceded it and so I was sort of like oh fuck it's the tank episode like I'm not looking forward to revisiting this I'm not looking forward to reliving this like and I will say I was pleasantly surprised by the end of it I was I was shocked at what a good time I had with it so we'll, yeah. we'll I was we'll excited because it was another silly one for me to do with uh continuing for life to be on fire so I was happy to have this one where it wasn't a super intense one we'll get into it later yeah. but I was excited for tank episode trademark but we see uh, Sam getting into work. Run, of course, immediately runs into Luca because we have to have you know awkward work interactions. Uh, there's a bunch of boxes around the admin desk. Apparently, they're doing a clean out of all the old resident applications from the last ten years. Uh, and Frank is clearly overwhelmed, saying that he's trying to get them picked up, and is clearly physically struggling too. Like you can kind of see him like breathing a little heavier, and like he's he's exerting himself a little bit more than we're used to seeing. Uh, so that's just the pierogies. Keep keep that in mind as we go through the rest of the episode. Comes up later. Uh, a patient comes in, a woman named Eliza, who got into a fight with her girlfriend, and Frank uh, makes some very distinctly Frank-like comments. Uh, cat fights about cat fights and lesbians and all that good stuff. And Neela has had it. Ah. Ha- finally, has hit her limit with Frank, and is like, "You're a bigot," and I. I hate talking to you and I hate being around you and I just want you to never speak to me again. Be silent when you're around me. Uh, yet another thing that will come up later in the episode. So all kinds of, uh, all kinds of plot threads here. Uh, and we see Carter and Luca chatting in the hallway. Carter sounds surprised that Jillian is in town to hang out. And Hey, I'm also surprised uh, because I had completely forgotten she existed and uh, was like and was kind of involved with Luca. Right. And like I was like, wow, I we're doing this. OK, sure. Uh, don't get used to it, though. This is her last appearance this episode. So uh, mm-hmm. don't don't get comfy. Uh, let me go to another one of our through patients of the episode. Uh, young kid, Brian, uh, he's having some testicular pain and his dad's traveling for business. So we didn't know, really know what to do. So he came into the ER. Uh, kid says, Sam, it, Kid says uh, Sam is really hot to Luca, and I'm sure to young Daniel. (laughs) Uh, I just want to add one thing, because I'm going to, well, actually, I believe the school nurse sent him in, because he was in, like, PE or something and was complaining. Maybe. Something like that. Yeah, it was something something school-related is what what lands him in here um my bad he's oh no you're you're good i just wanted to make it clear this kid is not smart enough to bring him into the er based on some of the shit i'm hearing i yeah that's fair i i thought for sure the way that uh, they were starting to set this up i thought for sure this was going to be another one of those uh you know oh surprise it's cancer you know like just yeah. sad for the sake of sad kind of side stories um, no it's stupid for the sake of stupid. right they went in a different direction with it which i guess i appreciate um, like I'm sort of thinking about, I think it was a Delamico patient that ha- it was like he was like an athlete or something, and he yep yep he comes in with you know some some Wang stuff, uh, and it, cool. it ends up being <laughs> ends up being cancer. Uh, but yeah, Brian here is played by actor. I'm gonna assume it's Cleo Thomas. It's yeah Cleo maybe. Uh, but uh, bit of an oh hey, it's that kid, especially at this age. It's like, zero. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he was in yeah, the movie uh, Holes as well as Walking Tall and was uh, uh, made a couple of appearances on Shameless as well. So he must have made an impression on somebody at uh, John Wells Productions because they brought him back Damn, for Shameless. Damn, you didn't 
You didn't say it in order. Damn it. No, Why? I was going to make a joke. Never mind. It's okay, Lizzie. Shameless Souls Walking Tall is my nickname in sex tape. Oh, boy. Oh, it hurts to laugh. Um, but then we go in, complete sad, let's 180 and make this awful. A 42-year-old man is brought in. His daughter brings him in. Uh, this story got way more fucked up than I remembered. But then again, when do I ever remember anything from this show? Uh, he's dealing with sepsis and I believe blood loss. His name is Mr. Tazlitz. Uh, his daughter is played by a very famous, oh, hey, it's that girl. I will let Daniel get to that in a minute. Um, but he apparently crashed a forklift at work two years ago and is very limited in his, uh, faculties, you know, can't really talk, definitely doesn't move, uh, bedridden, just not, needs full-time care. Um, we learn that the daughter cleans his GI tube two times daily per the nurse's instruction. It looks hella infected. Daughter is only 19 years old. That's really worth men- mentioning here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still feel weird prompting it myself, but uh, whose films are those, guys? The kid just got the guy just got wheeled in. What the fuck? And uh, they have to give him a central line. And we learn he has not disclosed his wishes or has a DNR on file. No such thing exists. That's not going to come into play at all. It's fine. No, 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 no. Uh, but yeah, the elephant in the room here, the the Oscar winner in the room here. Woo! Uh, the daughter is uh, played by uh, the most actressy of actresses uh, these days, Jessica Chastain. And, the, and her babyest of baby forms. Babyest of baby forms. This is her first on-screen appearance of any kind this episode. Sick. Um, if you will recall from our one of our conversations with uh, John Levy, can't remember whether it was his interview or when we did that little live stream thing with him, he talked about uh, Jessica Chastain, that she was somebody, I can't remember if it was him specifically or if it was John Wells, it was one of the two of them, um, mm-hmm. saw her in like a little like community theater type play, mm-hmm. like atmosphere, and were just like immediately like, that's the girl like that's like the it girl like she's gonna be the next like big thing and and so they like immediately signed her to an exclusive uh deal of like you're gonna Mm -hmm. you're gonna appear on camera in our shit and this was the first thing they stuck her in and then they did craft a whole idea for a show uh where she Mm -hmm. was gonna be the star of but it was one of those many unrealized pilots that never goes anywhere um, so it never actually saw the light. It never even made it to actually like a pilot episode stage. Like it gotcha. didn't didn't even get that far. Uh, but yeah, it's crazy to see somebody who is like and and yeah, she's appeared in stuff like Zero Dark Thirty, Molly's Game, and The Help. And like I said, it's it's just crazy to be seeing her making her like first appearance of any kind in uh, film or television when she's such a like presence nowadays. Hasn't hasn't she been doing Lizzie will know this more than you, I think, Daniel, but hasn't she been doing a lot of uh behind the scenes directing for the Star Wars T V shows and stuff? No, that's uh, uh Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah. My bad. That's I didn't the, mix Hollywood's other famous redhead. Right. Yeah. That's the other redhead. God damn it. I'm I'm s i am i am knew it was I knew I was gonna fuck that up. But uh so that's that's three of the Hollywood famous redheads we have now mentioned on this show. We had Christina Hendricks, Jessica Chastain, and honorary mention for Bryce Dallas Howard. Uh, but then we go over to Luca is giving Brian an ultrasound. And of course, Brian being a 13 year old boy asks if they could see through someone's clothes with it. Love it. Uh, they're keeping an eye out for possible torsion. (laughs) We'll see. I don't. I don't even have those, and I'm horrified. Uh, That's but... like that is like easily top three like worst fears. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not <laughs> just getting getting 
sitting on them a little weird is already like one of the most painful things can, in the world. <laughs> can I tell you what I love about this podcast? What? Somehow, no matter what discussion, one of us will always be left out of this conversation. <laughs> Either it's based on anatomy, based on identified gender, or based on it, it just somehow we always based end on up with willingness one to watch Marvel movies. Yes. Oh, trust me. There's a lot of reasons I want those gone. I know. When I get bottom surgery, but never having to sit on my balls ever again <laughs> is, is definitely high up on the list. Lizzie, that, that pain just doesn't go away for a while. It's true. Lizzie speaking her uh, trans truth over there. I love it. Uh, some sometimes I'm like, you do it, and she goes, yeah, I hit him, and I'm just like, oh yeah, those are a problem for you still. Yeah. But um, I have to with that- I have to explain to Jen all the time how like sometimes it's the it's the glancing blow that hurts the worst. Like it's not exactly. Like you get it's just, like when you stub your pinky if toe. If you get just like full, like full contact smash, that's like okay, that's a bad time. But like you throw up, you pass out, you're you're good to go. It's like a hard reset, you know. But like if it's yeah. it's the like, did I just get hit? In the, oh god! Like it's that thing of like, whoo, that's a day ruiner right there. I'm trying to come up with a good joke using STT as an acronym, and it's blank the testicles, and I can't figure it out. So, anyway. Uh, Severing the testicles. Oh, My oh, bottom surgery story. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, Lizzie, when we do the lounge the, and we go into graphic detail about your procedure, $50, we'll call. $50,000 Patreon tier. <laughs> hey, that's about what I need to pay you for too bottom can, surgery. You, too, can travel with Lizzie uh, across the world there and keep her go. company so I don't fucking have to go. Who wants with, to pay for sur- my surgery and have me and help me spend a month in Thailand? You can, you can name one Not of them. Not I. We'll, you can name one of them. We'll mail it to you. <laughs> so anyway, Sam asks Luca if 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 he's mad at her for coming over last night. And she then goes on to say, I do not like Sam in this episode. She goes on to say, no. and we can tell time has passed here, just kind of based on how this conversation goes. But she goes, if it's a choice between something serious or nothing, then maybe serious is the way to go. And it's like, okay, but you can't be mad at him and then voice this choice. No, and then and based on what? Like... Just, uh, I, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying very hard to to stick up for my girl here because, you know, 12 year old me, man, he's he, he was real dumb, okay? But like, no, 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 absolutely understandable. But this is one of those moments where I'm like, really? Yeah, she's very. But this is a pet peeve on relationships in general. Sure. When this kind of shit happens. Absolutely. So that's that's not a Sam thing. That's a just really yeah. thing. I'm I'm gonna try really hard to uh, vouch for Sam when I think of it but this one is this one's a no all not, the way not her best work all right uh now we got our next patient adam grant 61 year old with a slip and fall uh no loss of consciousness but he has major etoh on the breath so he needs a banana bag and we find out just from well, from the news that someone stole a tank from the illinois national guard armory which after i'm done with saying my piece i'm gonna look up where that actually <laughs> is i was like uh, and er- Everyone in shares is watching the tank on the news. It's then we found out. Oh, hey, it's the guy that ran out that said he was going to kill Morris. And Morris tells <laughs> tells them all that the guy is headed to county. I love that. I wonder where he's going. And Morris just goes, "He's coming here." <laughs> like Scott Grimes, a plus on how he does this whole episode. This is our yeah. first big Archie true like moment. And he do, he's not necessarily doing heavy lifting this episode, but it's kind of the first Morris-centric one we have where he gets to kind of even be periphery main mm-hmm. to the story. And oh my god, it just, uh, 
chef's kiss. Yeah, it's uh, somebody. One of the listeners pointed out that um, recently that he was on a podcast. Uh, I think it's I forget the name of it, but it's it's basically two actors from a Nickelodeon show in the '90s, and they have you know people who were on TV around that era, and. I didn't listen to the whole episode, but I did hear like little snippets of where he was talking about um, a little bit about ER. And he did confirm in that that the the original plan was that his that Morris was supposed to die in free fall. Oh, shit. <laughs> that. Uh, yeah, that Morris. So which lends credence to my theory that Coop was the one that was supposed to be the the long running character. And that something changed in those first eight weeks of the season. Like something, some switch got flipped or some job was was offered that they had to pivot and say, oh, actually, no, it's going to be, you know, Morris that sticks around long term. So I just thought that was really interesting. But then just on like a larger note about the episode, like on the surface level, like the tank thing is so absurd and so stupid. Like you would have to be like. But I love it. You have to think of it just as like I I, I I totally understand Jake's point of view on it, where he's just like that sounds like the dumbest fucking thing, and sounds like this this show has gone down the shitter. But then actually watching it, I will give them credit. Like they managed to take what should be a very silly, very outlandish premise, and actually keep it relatively but grounded. Can I tell you why I think it works? And this is and Lizzie, I saw you raise your hand. Two seconds. I think this works because everyone is acknowledging how fucking horrifying and ridiculous it is. Like everyone is like, this is weird, but it's not just not, but not in an overly melodramatic way, because I feel like, again, I'm kind of, and I know I beat this drum a lot, but I'm kind of thinking again about like the dude with the grenade in his chest and Grey's anatomy. Like I, I feel like there's a level of melodrama that you would attach to something like this that just isn't Mm. there with this. Like, it's not mm-hmm. a joke, but it's also not played for like high drama. It's just a mm-hmm. thing that's happening, and I don't know. It just it struck a very yeah. like it, it struck a very like nuanced note. It it definitely toes the middle as best it can. Yeah. Go ahead, Lizzie. Um, there I found today. I learned that there actually is a National Guard yeah. armory in Chicago at fifty two hundred South Cottage Grove Avenue on yeah, the south side. Yeah, that's where um Lizzie, our coworker from the evil the first job um when he would go and do his reserve training oh, that's he would where do he'd it, go he would do it there yeah because oh. remember he'd always have his his bag for i wasn't sure if you did it like at an armory my, there's other like places around chicago my for the national guard obviously because it's a huge city my thought was he went and did it at the armory because he always mentioned having to head out that way but i could gotcha. be wrong We'll certainly be hearing much more about the tank throughout the rest of the episode. It's being covered on CNN, so, you know, it's a big deal. This is 2004. People are still watching CNN. Uh, but we see uh, Lizzie working on Mr. Tazlitz, uh, and th- th- I honestly, I, he's appeared relatively recently, but I still keep forgetting. Two or three times. I still keep forgetting that this other doctor exists. Um, I mean, yeah, that's fair. The Billy Zane at home. He, he shows up, um, and they're replacing, uh, Mr. Tazlitz's pick line that he himself placed three months ago. He being, uh, Dr. Dr. Kit Lawson, Dr. Not important enough to remember. Uh, can't remember his name. Can't be bothered. Uh, but yeah, cool. He scolds uh, Lizzie for poaching his cases, and then uh, playfully, and then asks if they're still on for their date. And you, oh, I think I think she thinks he's being completely sincere because she seems baffled that he pivots like this. Mm, yeah, well, yeah, she does. Yeah, you're right. 
she because com- she complains to Sam about how perplexing men are. Uh, but also to me though, I I think she also looks genuinely surprised because I think she genuinely mm-hmm. doesn't remember that she agreed to this date. Because <laughs> like, my here here's what I'm guessing. She got such a great dicking by the doctor who was, you know, just nice that she's like, oh, shit, there's this other guy I got to deal with now. Let me tell you. That's you haven't lived until uh, I know this doesn't make any sense to to listeners because they're not in our Zoom room. But like you, you have not lived until you have seen a blanked out square on Zoom and just heard in your ears got such a good dicking like that is (laughs) especially from especially from Lauren. Can I, it's, I'm sitting in the dark in the kitchen because my eyes are bothering me and Zoom is treating it as too dark to pick up my camera. So, uh, yes, I am just a phantom blank screen for Daniel right now. But yeah, one more time. Such good dicking. Oh, boy. There you go. Uh, But yeah. Sam is uh, then talking to Chen, uh, tells her that she doesn't, uh, tells, or... This is another. Th- this is another criti- You'll get there. This is another criticism of Sam, just kind of broadly, that she, you know, kind of oversteps her boundaries as a nurse and like starts getting in, sticking her nose in places where it doesn't really uh, belong. I I'm gonna disagree on this because I think sh- somebody needs to advocate. For no the sure. In this case, no, I... no sure. And and you know they they do flesh this out a little bit throughout the rest of the episode. But here I was. Okay. I yes. Was like, right here. Yes. I was I, again. This is like not really remembering where the full episode went when, as I was watching it, like I was like, "Oh, this is going to be one of those times that like Jen complains about all the time about mm-hmm. how Sam doesn't like stay in her lane as a nurse." Yeah. Uh, but yes, Sam's telling Chen that the daughter doesn't understand how serious her dad's condition is because she's only nineteen and she can't be trusted to make all these you know complex and and complicated. Uh, medical decisions and Chen rightfully so again at this exact point in time Chen is rightfully so is like well she's she is of legal age she is you know the next of kin she is legally uh, you know allowed and and yeah you know that's the way like we have to take everything at face value at this point she is his caretaker exactly yeah there is no gray area here right so I mean everybody I, I sort of understand where Sam's coming from but I also understand where Chen's coming from too um they're still watching the news, still still <laughs> fixated on the tank. And the whole time they're doing this, Frank is playing a shooter on the computer. Right. Like a, a first person shooter. Which like I, that was that's what I thought it was, but correct me if I'm no, wrong. No, that's that's what it seems like. I mean, it looks like any I, I didn't it didn't stick out to me as anything uh It was either that unique. or he was watching a video based on the website he mentions, but I think he was playing a shooter. Yeah, it certainly looks like it. Um and he's he's calling out uh all these like specs on the tank of like all the stuff that it's equipped with and all the weapons. And right. Shit. And he, he yanks a, a piece of paper out of the printer, like a printout and he, he holds it up and gleefully is like, yeah, I got it from rolling death.com, which just which, like his, con- like his I, I comment want, about the uranium tip shells. I <laughs> want to know if it's a real website, but I don't want to get put on any list. I, Oh, I'm going to, I'm, I'll check I it just, out. Thank after you. I complained about Chicago geography. It just made, Oh yes. It, it just made me so, uh, nostalgic for that era maybe maybe this would have been just ever so slightly no yeah because we're, we're not really into the social media is it going to be printing out video game guys but I, no it just made me it just made me <laughs> nostalgic for the era of the internet that was like this where it was just a collection of niche corners 
Like everything wasn't so aggregated and everything wasn't so algorithm driven. It was just like, you could just go to this guy's GeoCities site where he is like cataloged every type and variety of cheese. Like that was just his whole thing. And it's like the one guy, he lives in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. And like, this is his entire life. Like that's the era of the internet that I missed. I want to know what my weird niche page was if I would do something like that. I mean, I don't know, but rollingdeath.com, we can buy it, guys. Sick. <laughs> For only $2,295, rollingdeath.com can be ours. I'm good. You can get um get a payment plan it's only 63.75 for 36 months i'm good uh but did you guys just since i mentioned it did you guys also print out uh the like plain text guides from like game fact and stuff i didn't for games or was that oh, absolutely i didn't did. print out. i did for animal crossing <laughs> i had okay here's i know you had the prima, the prima guide because that's how you right. and jake became friends i should have and looking back on it i should have found one of those on like ebay or something and given it to him as a wedding present um but uh you still you still can <laughs> but uh yeah no like I, I didn't do so much game facts printed off but we did have a lot of cheat codes printed off like yeah. we spent we spent a lot of time on cheat planet yeah. and had like pages and pages of yeah. crumpled up raggedy dog-eared looking fucking cheat codes just so you could like make james bond's head big like, yep hundred <laughs> percent oh just the dumbest things Speaking of dumbest things, yeah, Lizzie, so you want to take us into this Liz- next piece? <laughs> Lizzie's, Lizzie's about – clear your schedules, folks, because Lizzie's going to complain about uh, Chicago geography because they mentioned that the uh, gentleman in the tank is crossing Monroe yep. six mm-hmm. miles and circling wells. I don't know what any of this means. Yeah, so – Okay, so – Go for it. So wells and Monroe do actually intersect. Yep. That's not my problem. My problem is with the six miles thing. The six miles presumably – would put this, like, they're talking, like, what, Monroe and Wells is right downtown in the yeah, loop. Yeah. Where presumably where, the the hospital is. Yeah. And we've sort of been, like, led to believe. Right. That's in the know, loop. Helicopter shot, helicopter pad shots notwithstanding. It's the, it's presumed that to be in the Ish. loop. Ish. Ish. Six miles would put it, like, down near, would you put it either up near, uh, let's see up near like foster like almost to the end of lakeshore drive past on the north. us uh, like around us maybe but like more a little bit past like probably probably like the foster exit or the west loop by uh susan and mark's place yeah no further than that okay point For, is uh would yeah deep into the west side or you would be down near the museum of science and industry so way the fuck out there six miles makes no sense if you're talking monroe and uh, wells as an intersection yeah that's supposed to be far away from you. Uh, but yeah. And especially this next thing where they feed him on. They're still going to feed him onto the Eisenhower to get him to run a gas, a solid plan, but it's and nowhere actually, near where they're talking about it ish. <laughs> I mean, it, it'd be, it'd be, he'd have to go through a lot of city blocks to get to the Eisenhower from where he is. Yep. So all in all, this makes no sense. Geographically, they're saying, like, I don't think they necessarily were thinking about how condensed Chicago downtown truly is. Yeah. Like, they got street names right, but. Yeah, I think that's a that's a perfect example of a, you know, L.A. LA. LA TV writer <laughs> uh, writing 
uh, a, more, a more dense kind of cityscape like that grid cityscape because LA is much more sprawling and so yeah, six miles absolutely. six miles in a downtown like that seems a lot more reasonable when you're thinking about it in LA terms yeah but I just as I was hearing this even I was like Lizzie oh yeah like I put it in the notes Lizzie question mark <laughs> oh, yeah. because I was like something doesn't match there I'm too tired to figure it out we need to discuss there this were, on Mike. look I'm a fucking uber driver I know these there things. were several points they, they were calling out so many specific geography things in this episode mm-hmm. that I was like Lizzie's gonna have a field day like yeah. this is I I've lived here 14 years now and I only just started to realize that's bullshit so like <laughs> I, I, it's a miracle I can get anywhere in Chicago, it's, you guys. Thank God for the grid system. And Google Maps. Yeah. I at least know if I know what side of me the lake is on, I can figure everything else out from there. <laughs> I'm good. But, yeah, go ahead. But anyway, a police officer asked Abby why they discharged the guy, and, and they're like, oh yeah, the roadblock, this roadblock's gonna stop him. And he just crushes right through it just at demolishes a police car and everyone's like oh so monroe and adams are still close enough to each other that this this geographically still tracks monroe right? and monroe and Ad, oh, roblox and adams uh if he's going down wells yeah. he would intersect both monroe and yeah. then adams yeah i know so. because uh i thought you said monroe and adams like that's a cross intersection no 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 sorry i meant monroe and Adams is in their both streets nearby. Gotcha, um, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, no, I and know because that's where my uh, dorm was. More, yeah, and Morris is freaking out because like, oh, he's coming, he's coming for us. And Abby, of course, says, uh, "Not us, pal. You." <laughs> I love so good. I Abby and Morris in this episode are so good. Which is which is another like this is uh, uh, we really are seeing the gradient happening in real time, like the the changing of the. The more licensed music and the like breathy, more dramatic soap opera e romance type stuff. And then also, too, we're seeing these dynamics form in real time that are going to anchor the show mm-hmm. for the next few years. Uh, like there's there's one later on that we get that like this is where it's born. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's just really interesting, to, especially watching it with fresh eyes and, and with a fresh perspective. I just really love to in this scene, uh, Carrie in the middle of it uh, in mm-hmm. her in her capacity as like hospital administrator type thing. And like she's there mm-hmm. with the cop and the cop is like, yes, yeah, so we're going to like force him onto the highway and then he's going to run out of gas. And don't worry about it. We got these roadblocks set up. He won't get through those. And then he just like plows through the roadblock and she just like calmly turns and he's like you got another plan <laughs> like just deadpans him and it's just such a good line read again this episode's really fun so far yeah no well mostly uh but then we find out not fun is uh brian has chlamydia guys the amount of times i tried to spell chlamydia on these <laughs> notes and i still don't know if i got it right like fucking just nobody look at the notes guys it's a mess uh but we learn he's been sleeping with several girls when luca uh tells him he needs to let these girls know that he has it and he's only 13 and he's like he's got several side pieces that he's sleeping with so and sam freaks out with luca about it outside the room and she's like he's 13 what the fuck several i mean i get it again we have this thing about super promiscuous children on this show. Yeah. Like every once in a while, they got to bust it out. Yes, teens have sex. It happens. Hopefully, they're being smarter than this kid. I don't know. I've heard teens have sex. I I didn't, but 
Either way, uh, we Lester then shows Luca an X-ray of a girl who fell and busted her ass, and then he's like, "Twins, blonde twins." So just Lester's excited; he has cute patients. Great. Everyone's this, just, everyone's wearing your day. Yep. This goes nowhere, but it's just yay, Lester, cute moment. Uh, but then we see Frank continuing to haul boxes to the storage room because the service he had that was going to load them still hasn't showed up, and everybody's telling him to get them the fuck out of admit. So poor Frank has to do all this physical activity. Not going to matter at all. Um, But then Jillian shows up and asks Luca if they can do coffee later when he gets off work. And he's like, yeah, sure. And she's like, and maybe we do something fun like dancing. And he's like, okay. And then they kiss goodbye. And Sam, of course, sees and is not happy about it. Yeah, for for as like casual, like with a capital C, and kind of just sort of bohemian as this whole relationship, if you can even call it that, between Luca and, and Jillian has been. She is very sort of like domestic with this, like just keep yeah. showing up and like just keep like. I it, mean, it's. I mean, she, again, she's in town. She doesn't right. get to see him that often. We know she has a boyfriend. Like they mentioned, yeah, it they separate, do. Like seven times, they do. So I think she's just like, yeah, yeah, I get to see my friend, and also get. Yeah, fucked. I guess. I guess you're right. I guess it is. <laughs> a sneakily modern portrayal of like yeah. uh, polyamory. We hope. We yeah, hope. we hope. <laughs> just a just a friends with benefits we situation hope. Yeah, too. We, we, yeah, we hope that, you know, everybody's communicating here. But like, it, it, I guess, yeah, you're, I guess you're right. Like, it, it's weird to me because I'm not used to seeing those kind of depictions. Yeah. But it is just sort of like, I feel like this would be a very like authentic portrayal of something yeah. like that in a modern it's- setting. It's just very matter of fact, and I again, I hope the boyfriend knows. If the boyfriend doesn't know, that's a whole other set of issues. That's a, but like, that's a whole side every, plot that they could have dug into instead of talking about 13-year-olds having sex. But, like, if everybody's in the know, yeah, this is a perfectly acceptable um, presentation of, like, a consensual polyamorous relationship. Just, yep, everybody's great. Nobody has any problems except for Sam, but that's because she wasn't in the loop and isn't because she doesn't want casual to capital C. Um but no, I think this is totally fine. Like, it's, I think, like you said, Daniel, the d- domesticity of it works because there's that open communication. So for her, there's not necessarily that, you know, expectation mm-hmm. that, you know, we're seeing from Sam necessarily. I'm not saying either is right or wrong. I'm just saying that might play into why we're seeing it the way we right. are. With that being said, I got, guys, why do I keep getting these Bummer fucking transitions today. Uh, we have a double MVA brought in. There's a seven-year-old boy named Oscar who was pinned behind the passenger seat. And his father, Mr. Rojas, I don't think we get the dad's first name. Uh, these two were involved in... They weren't run over by the tank, but they were part of the cars that were impacted by it. So they weren't directly gone over, but, you know, in the crossfire, so to speak. And they're still looking for um, Mr. Rojas's wife, and Neela asks Frank to find her. She's like, can you call real quick? As Frank grabs the phone and goes to call, probably, presumably like Mercy or something, he sounds breathless and he collapses in the, in the uh, I can never remember our fun name for it, but uh, he can a- collapses in the medicine closet, exp- clutching exposition his chest. Exposition closet? Either, either the, exposition it, closet or Doug Ross, Carol Hathaway Memorial Medicine Closet. That was the one I was thinking of. But yep, so he collapses, uh, clutching his chest, in the closet, of course, will he'll be tucked away for a minute because that's always how these things happen. Naturally. Uh, the little boy is screaming in pain for his dad. And for some reason, I had like a visceral memory of this. 
particular. Isn't it, isn't it weird the stuff that sticks out? Just this little boy screaming Poppy. Yeah. Like, I don't know why, but like this set off like. It's, it's like, one of those wait. ones, and I think a listener did uh, point this out, and I don't think it was in one of the many responses I grabbed to this episode, uh, but it feels very uh, not acting the the little boy crying. yeah like it, fe- Authentic. it feels a little too real like it feels a little bit like he's actually upset and mm, so yeah. it makes it extra hard to watch and makes it extra like burned into your brain yeah well there's a little more trouble in the sandbox as sam is just throwing a kid yeah, of something what? that he needs when luke asks for what it and fuck? Pratt's like do i need to call dr phil no, Dates Pratt, the you shouldn't because he's the human embodiment of cancer. We uh, we watched so much Dr. Phil after school. It was my sister's obsession. I I had to watch so much Dr. Phil as the youngest child who did not have control over the TV. Dude is one of the worst things to happen to America. Trash. Ever. Trash bag. Uh, yeah. Uh, they're, they're placing iodine to get a chest tube in, and the boy won't stop screaming until he hears from his dad... Uh, Forget Sam opens the door, I think. Yeah, they see through the trauma door. Somebody holds it yeah. open so they can. Yeah. So his dad's talking to him, so then the kid calms down so they can do the chest tube. Yeah. And so they, they send Neela out to go. Uh, I believe she's going to, like, find out if an OR is ready or something. Like, they, they, they send her out. She's going to go call upstairs for something, which I'm also like, isn't there a phone in that room? Like, there's always a. There sure there's is. There's always a phone in the trauma room. Why does she go out to the Hope. hallway? Hope someone got fired for that blunder. Can be, speaking of blunders, thank you for the lovely segue there, Lauren. Uh, Didn't even mean beca- to. <laughs> because at uh, 2027, uh, mark it on your timestamps, we get a very abrupt costume change for Neela as she literally, as she goes through the trauma room doors, her gown and gloves that she's wearing for being in there, the, the little like paper gown, mm-hmm. j- vaporize. They literally vaporize from one shot to the next. Uh, because she uh, goes out and she sees the phone is off the hook, traces the cord, and finds Frank on the floor with foam dro- uh, dripping from his mouth. Uh, not not doing great. Uh, Pratt runs in. She yells for help. Pratt runs in uh, with the charming line, "What did he do? Choke on a donut?" And I mean, I mean, uh, fair question actually with Frank. It, it's entirely possible. Uh, Neela says that uh, he's having a large MI, and then Carter jumps over the uh, the counter to help. And great action shot! Great action <laughs> shot. Hope hope they got slow mo on that. Uh, he says something like, "Oh, is this a heart attack?" And and Pratt's like, "How'd you how'd you guess?" They're really roasting Frank as he's laying on the floor dying. <laughs> He'll be fine. He works in an ER. He'll be okay. Uh, he asks Pratt. Uh, Carter asks Pratt to stay with Frank, and he'll cover Pratt's patients down in the ER. And I think this is also too where they're loading Frank onto a yep, yep. gurney, and he says he eats fried chicken uh, and pierogies for thirty years, and we're we're paying the price because they're there. Yep. It takes four people to lift him off the floor onto the gurney. One thing: Why did I think it was Jerry that had the heart attack? Uh, I mean, I knew Frank had one, but for some reason I thought Jerry, Jerry had something happen Jerry gets too. shot. Jerry gets shot. That's what it was. Thank Jerry you. Jerry gets shot, and then they end the season without telling you whether he's alive Cliffhanger, or yep. not. And I yep, you're right. was devastated. Thank you. Yep, I knew it was something like that. Same episode where they kill the theme. If, and I'll be honest, you know what? If only one was going to survive, I'm glad it was Jerry. Like, as Fair. much as, as, much as I love the intro, I would not have also, been able to process that. It's... It still wrecks me because, again, I have the soundtrack on CD and um, it's in my 
my CD player in our room and sometimes I'll accidentally turn it on and God, the saxophone in the actual right. intro if, track if, does not have to go that it's fucking two hard. Songs stapled together. Right. It's so good, but sometimes I'm just like, I'm in yeah. there and I'm like, yeah, this is a product of its time. This is absolutely written in the early 90s. If you have never heard the full ER theme song, like the full, and then like I'm talking like two and a half minutes this thing is, like if you've not heard the full theme song, boy, are you in for a treat. At this point, at this point, um, we really should just put it on the lounge because, like, who's going to copyright infringe us for putting a, the full TV theme song on? So we may just have to sneak it onto a lounge episode and be like, all right, guys, the, just check the second it. Verse, second verse sax is just unstoppable. Oh, it's so good. Sorry, go yeah. ahead. But, just... uh, but yeah, so the uh, we then see the detective is telling Carrie that they need to evacuate because of the uh, tank. And Morris offers to leave to spare everyone's lives. <laughs> I love this so much. Uh, Sam is, you know, still pissed at Luca because of uh, Jillian. And Brian uh, has invited all his little girlfriends in to get treated. And Luca. It's like four of yeah, them, I think. It's like four of them. And Luca lectures all of them a little bit about, you know, the dangers of sex when you're 13 or just in general. Use a condom. Yeah. All right. Uh, Mr. Tazlitz has woken up apparently uh and tries to take his line out uh starts to try a talk as well and sam complicates things by asking him if he wants to be treated and is like blink twice if you think we should stop i do we see him blink twice no they, no they we very, see her watching but they, yeah they keep the shot tight on her face and they cut away before you see anything but I'm going to yeah. say, I yes, I agree she complicates things, but I also think if you think a patient is having a moment of salience who has been otherwise limited, like, I don't think it's out of line for her to ask as a caretaker. No, I, I do. I, I, I know I know you're right, but it doesn't... Yeah. It definitely complicates it, it, this the case and the situation. Right. And, I, yeah. and I also feel like, to, to a certain degree, because they leave it ambiguous, yes. I think to a certain degree, your interpretation of this scene and how it affects how the events of the rest yeah. of the episode unfold, I think a lot of your interpretation of this scene is... Is, well no i think it's it's couched in your opinion of sam as a character because Fair. i think if you think they're the best or you want to think the best of sam as a character i think you take everything at face value and you just go yeah me you saw like she must have seen him blink twice and she understands you know she's advocating it's... for him i think the people who think the worst of sam as a character honestly i would not put it past anybody to be like yeah she made it up i i'm gonna say this this is a glass <laughs> Instead of glass half full, glass half empty, are you a blink once or a blink twice? <laughs> I'm a blink one and two. Oh, but yeah, like it, you it's, can't you can't see me covering my face it's, right now. Uh, I think it's a, a perfectly like, and I think that's intentional with the way they they shoot it here that they do leave it ambiguous. I think they want you to kind of fill in the blank for yourself, and there is a there is a a thread or there is a possibility where you have to ask yourself the question of like, did she just? justify what she's already thinking by saying yeah i saw him blink twice and he you know said he didn't you know he didn't want this because that's where her head is already at yeah fair very fair uh but then we go over to frank wakes up in the cath lab which is horrifying to me that he's awake while they're doing this just but um he is is but he's still awake I know. Like sedated or not, he's still awake. You can he's definitely in twilight where he's talking, but we don't know how there he actually is. But um 
as as he's talking, they find the blockage. Uh, some I think it, this is Kaysen working on him. Yes, it's either Kaysen or one of the uh, doctors assisting. But it says blood cells are marching single file in this. Uh, in this, uh, I believe he says artery. Mm-hmm. It's artery. I believe it's the artery. But it's just like, oh god, that's such a horrifying visual for how blocked this this artery is. Um, but yep, we get Kaysen back. Cool. Kaysen's like. Pratt, you're driving me crazy. Go wait out in the hallway. You're you're uh, aggravating your patient. And Frank grabs Pratt's arm and begs him to stay. Kaysen's, I don't know if it's awe, but... Kaysen's, uh distaste for Pratt, it being uh, such a consistent thing, is, is yep. right up there with uh, Coburn and her dis- dislike of Green after Mark, uh, yeah. Love's Labor Lost. Like It's so perfect how they just continue that thread. Yes. I didn't even think about that, but you're right. I completely forgot about Pratt and Kaysen butting heads. But then again, Kaysen and blank butting heads could be believed. Yeah, well, it's it, they, they drop it on, they drop the thread yeah. with him and Susan uh, as much as they pick it up with him and Pratt. Yep. Uh, but then we go, Abby is outside watching the ambulance bay when Carter joins her and uh, say, at least the ER is slow, but that's because they're closed to pretty much everything. I think Chuni mentions this as she's walking past them, just sipping a coffee, happy as can be. And uh, Carter says Mr. Rojas is going to be fine. Uh, Abby says she pulled the Mr. Tank gentleman's old charts, and she thinks she missed drug-induced psychosis and failed him as a caregiver. A lot of of excellent, like, growth work in this episode. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got got good Morris stuff, you got good Pratt stuff, you got good Abby stuff. Like, there's a... Good Neela stuff. Right. Like, there's there's a lot to like in this episode. Uh, Neela runs out for Carter. Sam is looking for him. A uh, woman runs up with a girl looking for her husband. Uh, girl says dad's answers the phone and he's in charge. Cause, and they're like, oh, you, 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 Frank has a daughter. You're, Frank, you're Mrs. Frank and daughter. You're Frank? Mrs. Frank. Yeah. You're Mrs. Racism and free and baby racism. Cause they ask specific, they yeah. ask specifically for Francis. Yep. Uh, which throws everybody for a loop. They're like, who? They're like, oh, Frank. And we should also mention here the um, the daughter appears to have Down syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Carter explains what happens and asks Neela to take them upstairs. Okay. So let's get the, the credits out of the way. Frank's wife here is played by actress Shannon Wilcox. She's appeared in stuff like Raising Helen, uh, Seven, and Runaway Bride, and unfortunately did pass away just this past year mm. in 2023. Uh, and Frank's daughter is played by actress Christine Young, who really only has done a, a smattering of acting here, mostly in short films. This is her only wide-release film or television credit mm. in this episode. Um, this, I, I, I've seen, you know, a lot of, of course, the, the Frank plot thread in this episode is like a heavy topic of discussion, mm-hmm. and I've seen a lot of praise for it, but I've also seen some criticism where they go, they're trying too hard to make us love the devil, you know, like they're trying, Mm. and to me, I feel like this is a slight, um, not overcorrection, but like, I feel like this is in some ways them trying to atone for never really doing it to a sufficient degree with Romano, like never really humanizing Romano outside of those very tiny, tiny brief glimpses of humanity where like they they never really let you in with we never met his mom yeah. we never you know other than meeting his dog that one time like we never really learned that much about I, his home life 
I think this, like, while yes, it's a little heavy-handed, potentially, I think this does a good job of opening that door for Frank to start to have more of these moments. Whether or not, like, having his wife and daughter there helps, the heart attack itself helps soften him a little bit. And, like, I think we see him become more less not less bigoted but more human and a little more empathetic after the fact i like that we learn about his wife and daughter but you're right it could have been toned back yeah i think and i think if you were to do this episode today i feel like i would have gone in one direction or the other i feel like it and i feel like so i feel like how you do it depends on when you do it so like in 2004 i think they would have if you would have said like, okay, we're going to show Frank's Frank's family. We have a wife, we have a daughter. I think in 2004, if you were going to pare that down, I think they would have gone with, okay, well, we're going to show his wife and she's going to give it, she's going to give some like sympathetic context here. Whereas I think in, if you were to do this episode in 2023, 2024, uh, I think you could have done this with just the daughter. Like, I feel like, Uh I feel like, and make her an adult, like make her an adult who, and and but still be you know somebody with down syndrome but just who but, lives and uh, and is with frank and and has that connection with him and can provide yeah. all that context i feel like by doing both of them it delves into a little bit of overkill i i do think she's a young adult well right i'm just saying i'm I just know. saying that like yeah. somebody who's capable yeah. of taking care of herself to a certain degree yes. but just has yeah. like she's clearly based on how she behaves she's clearly somewhat dependent on her mother fair so i'm saying like if you were to do it in 2023 2024 i don't think they would have been afraid or they would have been more maybe afraid is the wrong word but they would have been they would have been more open or even more aware because i don't think people i think down syndrome portrayals in in media are often painted with a huge it's hugely broad brush i'll say this it's gotten a lot better sure in the last 20 years like i can think um off the top of my head, at least three portrayals, while they ni- might not be perfect. Right. Um, you have Addie from American Horror Story. I know that actress is in several seasons, and she's fucking wonderful, and she's allowed to just be a full character. She's great um, in Call the Midwife. The gentleman who plays Reggie is fantastic, and they give him... He's a character with agency, mm-hmm. and they do acknowledge those limitations, but, like, he is a young adult, or yeah, he's a young adult and they show both kind of how he's supported at the community he lives, but also the independent life he leads when he goes home and visits his parents. So I think like you mentioned that understanding has come a long way and we've pulled back a little bit from just that like surface level, you know, kind of drawback. Right. Because I I feel like this person can't. Right. I feel like the take home message that we're meant to take away from this as this is being shown to us in 2004 is like oh well of course he's like look he has a daughter with a developmental disability like and that's it. Like there's no deeper story there. Because everyone who has a developmentally disabled child is right it's like when people say that they're and again i apologize if this sets anybody off because i know it's a sensitive subject but if someone is told that because they have a child with autism that they're so brave right yeah so i mean there's just a there is a very broad brush being painted here and i think that is the note for me that rings Mm -hmm. somewhat hollow is that there's not really a ton of exploration or examination of frank's family you're right it's just it's symbolic it's a little 
It's a little bit token. A little bit. Just a little bit. You know, and especially I think as but, somebody else mentioned, which again, we got a lot of listener responses for this episode. <laughs> as somebody else mentioned, it's the fact that we are never going to see either one of them again. Like yes, they are being true. trotted out for this sympathetic moment that is, you know, meant which, to, like you said, make you love the devil. And then we're never going to talk about him ever again. But I, and I could have sworn we saw them at least a couple more nope. times, at least the daughter. Like I remember her having way more of an impact on me. I could have sworn we saw her a little bit nope, more. Nope. Just the, I believe just you, the one but... episode for both of them. So, you know, but more to come on all of that. Uh, for now we see Chen uh, yelling. Uh, they're, they're, they're now trying to verify what Sam has clearly told Chen about uh, her interaction with Mr. Tazlitz. And so she's talking very loudly, trying to get his attention, trying to ask him about directives, trying to trying to recreate the circumstances that Chen described to her. And she's not really getting anywhere. And then he starts to bottom out. Chen starts to treat him. And Sam is insisting that that's not what he wants. So more to come on that. And let's go to our first audio clip here of the night. Uh, Frank and Pratt are chatting in the cath lab while Frank is high as balls on Versed. Guide wires through the occlusion. What do I watch for dinner? You hungry? It's a good sign. They used to fly us in a hot meal every time we were in a firefight. He's looped on the Versed. Let's hear some vitals. ACT is 20, pulse 87, respiration is 10. province. Second of the 22nd mechanized infantry. I'd hear those first enemy rounds pop, pop, pop. So you know how to use a bazooka. Well, they could use you outside right now. It's funny. We're that close to dying. I'd be thinking, I wonder if it's beef stew tonight. You're not dying, Frank. Vessel's pretty angulated. Do you want a shorter stand? No, it has to cover the lesion if we're going to prevent acute reocclusion. I can wiggle it in there. Half of my unit was black. They were all cocky SOPs, just like you. Some of your best friends, huh? Yeah. Shanks. He was shot right through the left eye. February 12th, 1967. Davis. Bauer. Woodward. None of them made it. All right, that looks good. Inflate to 15 atmospheres. You're what you are, buddy. You are what those boys could have been. Frank. Frank, he's out. Inject contrast. Pulse is up to 125. Pressure's dropping. Sat's 85. He's perfect. He's bleeding into his pericardium. Give me a covered stent now. Again, sympathy for the devil. Mm-hmm. I know. I love Troy Evans, though, and this this moment was like, God, why didn't we talk to him closer to this episode? Like, I was, again, I'm so excited we got to talk to him in general, but that was lifetimes ago, and I would have loved to have talked to him now that we've gotten to this portion of his story. I'm sure if Daniel messaged him on Instagram <laughs> with a couple questions, he would respond. I, let's let's be real. We are never getting back on that interview train for our own sanity. But I just want to, I just was, I was joking with um, in our group chat and I was like, I'm just going to write Troy Evans and tell him he's wonderful. And I think it was Jake who was, or maybe I've been Daniel who was like, and he's going to be like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> I mean, yeah, he might respond. I don't know. He's, uh, he, 
you can it's easy to forget because of his like limited scope on the show of like what his character is there to do and it's something that he Mm -hmm. as an actor is very aware of like he's he's he was acutely aware that definitely came through in his interview like he's acutely Mm -hmm. aware of his own place in the ecosystem of the show and like this is not about me i'm here to like be supportive support yeah i'm here to you know i'm here to make everybody else look better by in mm-hmm. comparison to how shitty I am, you know, kind of yeah. like Paul McCrane, you know, the, the jalapeno theory, you know. Um, but it is really cool and really nice to get to see and to be reminded that he's just a really good fucking actor and like that he can bring you right into a, a time and place and, and like, I don't know. And, and also just shout out to long term storytelling too that like Mm -hmm. this is the genesis of this like beautiful bond that is forged between these two men who couldn't be more polar opposite and it's gonna and couldn't be more contentious right and we're gonna see that through nearly all the way to the end like and it's uh it's just a really powerful beautiful thing that really ties this you know not to get too Lebowski about it but it really ties this episode together like this would be this would yeah. be just the stupid silly tank episode without this. Uh, t- yeah, no, t- it's it's absolute chef's kiss. Like I completely forgot this moment happened, and that this is what sets the tone for the rest of their friendship and kind of ongoing um, growth of their relationship. You, you, and I was really. I thought we were saying the tone. You said that so well, like that it was so like Mr. Black that I just like <laughs> I kind of want to like isolate it, and, like use that Go as for a drop. It. I don't care. I don't care. You can you can by me being on this at all, you have permission to take anything I say out of context for uh, soundboards. That permission only goes for Daniel. The rest of you don't fucking do that. Daniel, however, just by the nature of him being the one editing and me not touching anything ever again, I'm in his hands. Whatever the fuck he chooses to use this audio for, I, I don't care. But yes, absolutely feel free to isolate that, Daniel. Ah, uh, great scene. Great moment. Yes. Absolutely. Uh, but then we go over to not a great scene. Mr. Tazlitz is crashing. He's in BTAC. Uh, they're working on shocking him with the defibrillator. Sam continues to advocate against it. The daughter is begging them to keep going, and they get rhythm back. And this is going to get a really dark turn here in a little bit. So we're going to stop there. We'll come back to it. I don't want to, but we will. Uh, we go over, and they're trying to stabilize Frank. They're going to... Pratt really wants to do pericardiocentesis because they see fluid in the, um, based on the contrast they do during, I think they're doing a fluoroscopy, mm-hmm. but, um, Kaysen tells him that they have procedures in the cath lab and you can't just, you know, go rogue. Pratt continues to insist saying, Hey, you're not going to have time to get a stent in before he's done. Like you need, you need me to do this. And Pratt goes in, gets the fluid out and Frank stabilizes enough that, they're good to keep going, and I love Kaysen. One lucky needle doesn't make you a cardiologist, Pratt. Okay. <laughs> okay. Speaking of evil, evil dickweeds on the show, uh, so more Chicago geography. <laughs> uh, uh, Tank guy is apparently on Ashland now, which it, which is apparently right outside their hospital. Okay, Lizzie, am Ambulance I right in this? Bay. That's Ashland is would be nowhere near. Again, if you're Putting your thing in the Chicago Loop, Ashland is about two miles ish. Yeah, I'd say probably about yeah, two miles. Yeah, something like that. I say um, like I know. 
Yeah, about two miles uh, west of the western end of the loop. So again, not in the loop. <laughs> yeah, not in the loop. Uh, but hey, if I, my only thought was like, oh, Cook County Hospital is near Ashland. Let's use that name. So, if, I mean. Which, which canonically, yes. I think we did figure out that the street address for Cook County Hospital is the street address for county. Yeah. Like, e- and the helicopter bay looks like it's over there. But again, their scenery and their set dressing for the ambulance bay looks like the loop. Yeah. So they can't yeah. have it both ways. <laughs> exactly. Pick a lane, people. Come on. Uh, but and the tank is almost in the bay. Uh, we we also see the sign for Ike's. Then they hope they can't get past the snowplows that are in the ambulance bay. Uh, Abby says he needs a psyche valve, and the SWAT team go to apprehend him. Uh, they flow in. They throw in. They open the hatch and throw in what appears to be a flash uh, flashbang grenade. Uh, and then after the tank, he goes to you know move the tank again they fire him they fire and shoot at him and hit him three times woof which uh leads uh abby immediately runs over to the tank after the scene is you know cleared the guy has three gsws they're taking him in to be evaluated i believe they say he got hit in the neck head and chest something like that something like that yeah uh so three not great places to get shot um abby insists he is alive alive. abby insists that morris join her in the trauma cops are you know kind of watching as morris abby and uh, carter work on him his sats aren't coming up he needs a chest tube. morris wants to do it abby says no but carter lets him uh you know and he uh he really struggles to get him to get it in but carter gives him a vote of confidence hmm hmm but then he gets it. Yeah, he does get it, and he's very proud of himself. And, and, and like I said, you can almost see, and it'll be really interesting to see, because we know a lot of times these character growth arcs are not linear. So it'll be really interesting to see how much of this he retains throughout the rest of the season, because it feels like you can almost watching, it feels like you're almost watching him shed shitty Morris skin. Mm-hmm. Like, you can almost yeah. feel this much better much more likable character blossoming in front of us uh but it'll be interesting to see if he backslides before the end of the season he's currently a metapod and he's gonna hit level 10 and evolve into a butterfree and we're all gonna be happy yeah weeb shit elizabeth Uh, i love you so much what i just love you so much he's a level 7 metapod i i just love you okay then we see sam uh approaching luca uh, one of the girls, uh, one of Brian's girlfriends, the kid, uh, one of his girlfriends there has an ovarian abscess and uh, they're hoping that she won't need surgery. Uh, that just gets more upsetting. Luca asks if she's going home, uh, asks if she wants coffee and says he'll wait for her. Uh, and then she passes uh, passes by and sees Jillian walk in. Uh, and there's some some real I, serious side eye from Sam as uh, Luca and Jillian walk out the door. I, I'm sorry, I wasn't clear with this on the note. Uh, this meant Sam passes coffee up. I think oh. not. She just walks away. Got it. Either way, it could it would have tracked with how this episode is yeah. going. But I think I meant she passes it up and then Jillian comes in and it's a lot of it. yeah, it's a lot of like side eyed glances. It's a lot of like it's a lot of very petulant sort of you know Mm -hmm. high school drama type Mm -hmm. shit that like you know it's like so much of this could be solved with a conversation 
Again, open communication. I don't care if you're going polyamory or not. Just fucking communicate like adults. Yeah, just talk. Just, just talk to each just, other. We, we say this. We say this every time a relationship thing comes up. Just fucking talk to each other. Right. Treat your partner like a human being. Lizzie and I. People. Lizzie and I have been together for no twelve years. Just fucking talk. Not no, not, I was looking at from twenty ten. No, we've been together since twenty twelve. Yeah. Just fucking talk to your partner. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's annoying how she behaves. She being Sam, it's it's annoying how she behaves towards him. Like especially since she was the one that set the boundary in the first place, and right? he's respecting that boundary by being like, "Hey, you said you didn't, you know, want to hang out, so I'm gonna move on, you know, and do like, do yeah, stuff." Yeah, we can still hang out if we make plans. Right? But like he's not. You said you didn't want to be exclusive, yeah. so I'm gonna hang out with my friend Jillian and maybe touch a boob. <laughs> like yeah, so like. He, to be fair, she's a and very so, woman. So I, I dislike the you know the 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 vibes that I'm getting from her, and we will get into it when we delve into this scene a little deeper later on. But like, I really hate the way that it causes Luca to act at the end of this episode, where yeah. and I also where oh, just where he shows up like fucking hat in hand, like I'm sorry I did a yeah. bad thing. It's like no, you didn't do anything wrong. Like you, well, you fucking idiot. Yeah, Sam is being a petulant child. That and Sam also acts like he just went out and grabbed a random person from a bar. Like, no, this is a woman he has an established connection from from going through some traumatic yeah. shit in the Congo. And I guess, like, but does right, Sam that, know? that is no, that I'm is the one I will that... give her an out on that is that I don't even know that she knows Jillian exists, much less what their history right. is. Right. So I'll, I will I just... will cut her some slack on that. I'm just saying, from an audience perspective, it's like sure. Uh, but she won't have to worry about her anymore because as they walk out the door, so too does Jillian. She will never be seen again. No, she doesn't. There's She's down a little bit oh, further. Oh, fuck. You're right. God damn it. <laughs> this is what happens when I try to, like, trans... Like, I, we need to start doing, like, live stream watch-throughs because I'm trying to transplant my notes into Lauren's notes, and I always end up... I need to just start doing control Fs. Like... Well, that I mean, assumes I spent I spell shit right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yes, she she shows up Which, one more time. But so anyway, before we get there, and you and anyway, Daniel, you're usually you do an amazing uh, job. Yeah, you pretty much always do an amazing job. Pretty much always. No, uh, you always do an amazing job. I mean, he's not a hundred percent. He clearly fucked up here. So Elizabeth you know. got me there. <laughs> Uh, Neela brings coffee up to Frank's wife and she thanks Neela for sitting with them. Uh, Frank took the job because he wanted to put more money away for his daughter. And I'm sure he talked and the wife is like, Oh, I'm sure he talks about her all the time. I'm sure he, I'm sure he loves it here. He always comes home with stories all the time. And apparently Frank is always saying how bright Neela is and how well she's doing. And Frank has always been a people person. (laughs) So what's the truth? So what's the truth well, here? Again, I mean, I think, pick a lane, well, ER no, writers. I think, I think you can explain this by, you know, a little bit of good old-fashioned toxic masculinity. Like, he's he's hiding a, fa- a much more caring, much more sympathetic, you know, facade, uh, you know, uh, core over this, like, bravado, false bravado of, like, macho bullshit, you know, on top. Right. And, like, I'm big, strong, tough cop man. You know, like, I do, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, so I... I Again, much like the polyamory thing, I feel like with uh, the benefit of 20 years of hindsight, I feel like you could argue this is actually a pretty, like, modern piece of writing here where they're like, no, actually, eh, he 
is actually a, a decent human being underneath all of it. He's just, uh, you know, ruined I, by society. But then we never really see this side of him. You do a little kind of do drips and drips a little bit, like when Je- like when Jerry's in trouble, right? Yeah, like, or when Abby leaves, and when when Abby leaves, yeah. yeah. And again, I don't think this is ultimate. At least to me, maybe I'm you know reading far too much into it, which is not out of character for me at all. Uh, but <laughs> I do think that there is a small part of this that is them kind of course correcting and over over correcting for how dirty they did Romano, where like mm-hmm. they they didn't do enough mm-hmm. to show you that there was something more behind the 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 devil mask that he was constantly wearing. And here, I think they're trying to atone for that, but I think they're doing a little, they're laying it on a little too thick. Like, they're just doing a little bit too much. If they'd have, like, spread this out over a, say, five, six episode arc, I don't think anybody would have been mad, you know? If, like, where the wife and daughter come to visit another day. Right. Or, I don't like, I don't think you needed to do slowly. all of this in one episode. I think you could have, we could have mm-hmm. seen him going through cardiac rehab. We could have seen him... Uh, at home see a little bit of Frank's home life like I think we could have seen some of that stuff and had it kind of teased out a little yeah. bit more In that definitely would have been an interesting cool yeah instead of just getting all of this stuff kind of lore dumped onto you for lack of a you know better word and it feels a little bit disingenuous and again I, I will the one thing I will say though um, uh, spoilers for the end of the episode uh, I like that Neela doesn't fully buy it like mm-hmm. I, I like that. I feel like the a much less nuanced portrayal. It would have been like, wow, the Grinch's heart did grow three sizes, and he's been a good person this whole time. And I was just too blah 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 to understand. Like, no, she's like, well, you know, it's nice that he's not. He's a dick. right. It's nice that he's nice at home, but he's still an asshole at work. Like, so she's mm-hmm. unimpressed, and I, I like that. Uh, I just also want to note here, the bingo card for this episode's got to be so fucking weird. Like, we've talked uh, testicular anatomy, we've talked polyamory, like, guys, this one's a weird one. Uh, it's a sli- I've it's, a sex tape joke. It's a sleeper episode. Uh, but anyway, Sam is checking on Mr. Tazlitz. I'm going to keep not wanting to talk about these fucking bummers. Uh, he's being taken to the ICU. We learn he may have suffered further brain damage from his heart crashing earlier and being deprived of oxygen. Uh, Sam tells the daughter that they can help find him a facility. And this is where it gets even darker. The daughter tells the story about what happened to him, and it turns out her dad had been assaulting her. Which, to me, begs the question, why is she fighting so hard to keep him alive? Like, well, I guess I guess there could be well, could financial be like- considerations, but... No, it, I think it would also be like a, this man hurt me so ma- much. I want to hurt him right back. I want him to suffer and live. Oh yeah, yeah, I guess I guess you could read it that way. Yeah, when she's like when she's telling Carter and and uh, whatever not to stop, like you know mm-hmm. I, that that is true. Which again, DNA like those resuscitative measures fuck with you a, up with a, with such a, a good expressive actress like Jessica Chastain is. Uh, yeah, okay, I will buy that. I will one hundred percent buy That's, that. That's that's the yeah, only. That's how I always read this. That's the only thing that would justify why this is the course of action. But uh, yeah, maybe because I'm a very vindictive. I can be a very vindictive person. <laughs> yep. But uh, then here's Jillian's last spot. She's asking Luca what he wants to do because they're somehow still out in the ambulance bay, and uh, she realizes that he might be in love with Sam. And she says, "Oh, I'm a little bit jealous. I know I have a boyfriend, but like, based on know, what? say la vie, whatever." Based on what? Based on how bad he feels. But that's so, like, fucking flimsy. Like, 
God, these people, like they've, none of these people have ever been in a relationship before. Like it's all like, uh, uh, it, that's so dumb. Okay. To be fair for Jillian, if she thinks, oh, this, this guy's got it bad for Sam, Sam's probably not into partying the way we do. Like that means that if he goes with her, then he's off the market. So that, that could be my interpretation there, but you're right. Everybody fucking communicate. Uh, then we go over to Pratt in with Frank and tells him what happened and how much food he'll have to cut out, like the new lifestyle and everything. To which Frank is definitely feeling better because he says, I'm in hell, right? You killed me. You and your faithful Indian companion. <laughs> I love that line it's so, so much. Good. You and your faithful Indian companion. <laughs> uh, but then uh, Janie runs in to, you know, see him and soothe him and everything. Very sweet father-daughter moment. Um and Lizzie pops in and tells Pratt that he is now banned from the cat lab. <laughs> uh, we're going to listen to the last scene of the episode. Uh, Alex is telling Sam all about some horrifying movie. And when they run into Luca, because of course Luca is waiting outside Sam's apartment building. So the guy's head comes off and then, and then these spider legs grow out. It's really cool. You should probably close your eyes. Luca! Hey. We rented the thing in Evil Dead 2. Have you seen him? Nope. Well, Mom got me McDonald's, but you could probably order a pizza. Alex, why don't you head upstairs? Isn't Luca coming up? Put the popcorn on two and a half minutes on high, okay? It's cold. They said it was gonna snow. Look, I'm tired. Jillian went to a hotel. <sighs> she was at your apartment last night, wasn't she, when I came by? Yeah. You talked to me and closed the door, and like five minutes later, I was probably still on the stairs. I'm sorry. God, I'm so stupid. I really. Came here to say something, so say it. It's freezing outside. I screwed up. Just wanted to apologize. Okay. Sam. Just tell Alex I said. I'm sorry, I couldn't stay. Sure. Hey! These movies scare the crap out of me.
Lizzie, props to you for getting the fucking schmaltzy music cue at the end of that, too. Oh, my God. I love a good schmaltzy uh, no, music cue. No, I know, cue. but for this one, especially with how much we've com- been complaining about their whole dynamic, it, it's such an after-school special. Like, And everyone was happy, and it was resolved, and look at their friends yeah, again. I did that. Love is blooming in the streets of Chicago. Look at this, look at this tank family. Just, was just recently. I just really, I don't like the way he's like, oh, I just want to apologize. Like, he shows up like fucking, like, he did something wrong, which, like, trust me, he's killed a man. He's done plenty wrong. Like, he's, there's there's plenty of things that, that Luca could find to apologize for to a variety of people. But this isn't one of them. Like he didn't do anything wrong in this situation. He, in fact, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. He respected a boundary that was set by a woman. Like she, she told him, cool it. Casual, non-exclusive. And walk away, my dude. She went further than that. She said, maybe we need to like take a pause and take a break. Yeah. And she also, again, says not exclusive. He, he did what, he was told and like she, she treats him kind of shitty this whole episode and like then he shows up at the end and is like oh I'm sorry it's like fuck that that's such bullshit hey yeah 8 out of 10 yeah. episode for me just because Sam is is, intol- is intolerable yeah. this episode yeah it's, it's a I think that's fair ep- otherwise like I otherwise I wouldn't change a thing honestly I mean I would maybe get maybe. rid of the Brian storyline. Yeah, Brian I was going to say, I, the, the Brian storyline, yeah. I think, could go. I think you could find something better for Luca to do this episode. Give us, get rid of the Brian storyline and either make us give a shit more about Frank's family or give Neela and Pratt a little more time because I'm looking at the comments and somebody raises some very good points about them doing heavy lifting for a white man and we'll get yeah. there. But, like, give... Give Pratt and Neela something a little bit more. Sure, yeah. Potentially. I think, certainly with Pratt, I think, just because I know they're going to pay that off, I will give that a pass Mm -hmm. of like, okay, there's a little bit more to this. I think the Neela stuff, you know... There's so much of... There's so much... I think the core of that story... It's layered. The the core of that storyline is and should have always been Pratt and Frank. And I think I think they yep. got a little bit carried away with trying to add stuff to it of like, well, let's throw some Neela stuff in there and let's meet his wife and his daughter. And it's just like, no, this is too much. Like, just give me the genesis of a really solid, really good background relationship between Frank and Pratt and let that be the thing. Let Have the confidence that that's going to stand on its own. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe have Neela be doing something with, you know, the the ridiculousness that is Abby Morris and Tank guy. Right, and like, that, have her be part of that comedy trifecta. And then I think and I think maybe they were afraid of having too much heaviness in one episode, especially with so much mm-hmm. going on. But like I would have liked to have seen us a, a little bit of closure and a little bit of follow up on Abby and Tank Guy. Like after he goes up for yeah. his procedure, and after, because I do feel like while yes, this is a great growth episode for Morris, I think it's an equally important growth mm-hmm. thing for Abby. She does reflect on a lot, which we totally skimmed yeah. over. To which I apologize. No, I mean, but th- like, there's a lot in she, this episode. She does like, and and like I said at the top, like this is an episode that like on paper looks fucking it, it looks matter. fucking stupid on paper. And so the fact that they not only managed to pull a coherent episode, but a memorable and, like, enjoyable episode out of such a silly, stupid fucking premise. 
Again, I was really excited when I was like, fuck yes, tank episode. And then I was like, fuck yes, it's a good episode. Like, I was not in a good space to be doing notes. And I still had fun with this one. Lauren. Yeah. Is Brian on the shitty kids list? (laughs) Also, apologies for the silence. I mean, I feel like anybody, Uh, regardless of. Yeah, no. He gave four girls chlamydia. I don't care. He's on the shitty kids list. Shitty kids list. Thank you. Yeah. I was like. Click on the I was like, I've put teenagers on the shitty kids list before. So, yes, Brian goes on the shitty kids list. Please put chlamydia boy after that so I remember who the fuck he is. Chlamydia boy. Worst superhero ever. I don't care how you spell it, but just like put it on there so I remember. I don't know how to spell chlamydia, so I'm saying clap boy. Okay, that works. He's in the porn parody Sex Men. (laughs) Chlamydia boy. Uh, uh, but yeah, no. But much, anyway, much better episode than it has any right to be. Again, like we said, I was like, oh, like when we were talking about, it, we're like, oh, we're almost to the tank episode, and then the tank episode got here, and I was so surprised about how little the tank put, actually was. The put episode. yourself in the headspace too, because this is this is prime sweeps time. Like this is. Mm-hmm. Th- let me let's talk about some other like episode fifteen sixteens of a season. The Crossing, All in the Family, fucking Exodus. Like, these are episodes that are like, this is this is tank. when you get your eyeball. So you pull back a little bit and go, okay, we're in sweeps time. The episode synopsis says we're doing some shit with a tank. <laughs> yeah, this should have gone further sounds, with it, honestly. No, I think, they sh- I think they did it perfectly. I think they did any more, and this is a fucking Grey's Anatomy episode, like, and I'm if out. Had, I am tapping out. If he had been, if he had been like firing stuff with right. the tank or things like that, that would have been too far. I would have settled for one if big there, explosion. If there, like, Jerry, just to give him Jerry, one shell. Jerry has already blown up the ER with a rocket. No, all the, I need, don't blow all, up the all ER. All I need is just, one breathy commercial break, like sweaty brow moment where there's a, a tank gun pointed at the er and we see morris sweating i'm fucking tapping out and i'm never coming back to the show like it's fucking atrocious that (sighs) shonda rhimes just came all over her desk like there is just no way to come back from that and so the fact that they showed the, the fact that they took this very silly premise and this very silly idea and showed a little bit of restraint they yeah that's that's perfect line. for me. That is totally perfect for me. And I will go I, it, to the point where I, cause I know he hasn't fucking watched. I'm going to tell Jake, watch the fucking tank episode. Cause I know he's, I know yeah. he's been dreading it for years because we've been describing gonna it be to him. S- he's going to be so pissed that like about the Frank and Pratt stuff too, though. He's going to be like, why are they trying to make me like Frank? I guarantee yeah, you. Yeah. Which I mean, and like I said, those are perfect. Those That's are valid fair. criticisms because they do lay it on a little bit thick. Uh, but it, the fact that they take that story and and tease it out and really like pay it off, I'm okay with it. Even though they they got a little self, I'd rather they get self indulgent with the Frank stuff than get self indulgent with the tank. Like, have Frank not the Frank, tank, not the tank. That should be the alternate title for this episode. All right, uh, I think I'm actually going to be able to do some listener responses. You guys left us a lot. Yeah. Daniel told me he was going to make me tag team. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and do some right. tonight. I'll be over here on my phone. Great, Lizzie. I love how engaged you are with our listeners. Way to fucking go. Uh, But so we start off. You're the ones in the Discord. Yeah, I know. Uh, You get summoned sometimes. First off, I think 
Emma F., I think this is your first time writing in, so thank you for joining us. I always appreciate seeing some new names. If you've written in before and I've forgotten, Emma, I fucking uh, apologize. Emma has, may have written in before. Emma has been a patron of ours for some time, and I will say, only because I, I have neglected to to this point, Emma wrote us a really nice, uh, I can't remember if it was a message or a comment or what, uh, after our most our, our most recent lounge. She, she reached out in some way. Yeah. And I have to to give Emma a ton of credit and a ton of props for just like hitting an exact perfect note at a time when certainly for me personally, I can't speak for the for Lauren and Lizzie, but just for me personally, it hit me in exactly the right spot and like exactly what I needed at that moment. So just like one of those uh, serendipitous outreaches. Yeah, just like just just thanks. Awesome. So Emma, thank you for being a patron. Uh, again, I apologize if if you've commented and I've read your stuff and I forgot it, but you wrote us a novel and I'm really excited to read it. So here we go. I'm sorry, guys. I know you've been really needing some positive comments as we trudge through these blah seasons, and I promise I'm really trying. I looked ahead and I have some positive things to say in the next episode. I sat down, determined to write some good comments on this episode. The episode opened with Lizzie getting some screen time and maybe a bit of an arc where she gets to be happy and just do something, and I felt hopeful. Then, although heavy, I was intrigued by the idea of a storyline that explores how abuse in queer relationships is still a thing. But no, of course we just had to use the queer black woman's pain and trauma as the inciting incident to get us to care about a mediocre white man's story instead and then never see that woman again. Frank's comments to this woman were egregious, not only making me uninterested in the rest of this episode, but also taking me out of the world of County. Even in 2004, it seems incredibly unrealistic that a comment like that in front of a patient wouldn't have gotten him fired. I absolutely loved Neela's comeback, and this definitely makes her MVP of the episode, in my opinion. But I wish that her strength and bravery in that moment didn't get watered down by all the emotional labor she, and big surprise, another minority character, Pratt, had to do later supporting Frank and his family. Supposedly, Frank likes his co-workers deep down inside, even though he shows nothing more than disrespect and abuse, and he loves his neurodivergent daughter, so he is off the hook for racism, sexism, homophobia, and xenophobia? Barf. Neela could have spent her day supporting that earlier patient and millions of viewers could have seen a strong female doctor of color using her compassion and professional skill set to support another woman of color and shed some light on an often glossed over fat facet of the queer experience but no it's 2004 and the most important thing is that shitty white men get to be the center of attention and minority characters should be on the periphery of their journey of course this is the same season where there's no time to show weaver's motherhood journey or address the caregiving dynamics in chen's life but there's always time for carter's derpy little problems and for luca to stand around brooding because it's stressful having lots of women want to fuck him so what did i expect i love this this episode is so problematic i've never been a frank fan he's too real I'm glad his daughter loves him, but I don't care, and I hope the woman from the beginning finds the queer-affirming domestic violence shelter resources she needed, even if the ER audience never got to hear her important story. Sorry I couldn't be more positive. You are amazing, and this is my favorite podcast, and I could listen to you all talk forever, and I will keep tuning into STT, even if the early thousands have proven to be a really bad color on ER. Guys, I promise I didn't make that last few <laughs> sentences up. Uh, I can keep going, Daniel, if you want. 
All right. Next, we have at Simply Swooning. I love so much about this episode and hate so much about... Wow, okay, I completely read the par- the punctuation on that one wrong. Let me try again. Sorry, Simply Swooning. I love so much about this episode and hate so much about it at the same time. One thing I love is Frank and Neela. Up until this episode, she probably has no idea why anyone tolerates him. She's yet to see the human side of him, but by the end, she realizes he's all bark and no bite. I even love Kaysen being an asshole because it's such a throwback to early days. Also, Jessica Chastain in a guest star role that is firing on all cylinders, everything from love to loathing of her sick father, she kills it. I'm sure they all knew she was going places. Now for what I hate. Sam, you are not three years old. You told the man you wanted... You told the man you wanted casual, and now you're having fits at work. Uh, complaint about fits because I was like, she's not having seizures. Uh, while dealing with critical patients because he took you at your word. Grow up. That's called fucking around and finding out. Luca, Alex isn't the only person in that family that needs therapy. Run, don't walk. Then again, you haven't exactly dealt with your crap either. Therefore, here we are. Having sex with a bunch of randos at their age is probably something those kids will regret. But so is entering a doomed relationship for fear of being alone. Can we have full moments of clarity here? Please? Though I love that scene for the look on Luca's face when he's trying to advise them. Now, the effing tank. I think the moment is necessary for Morris's growth, but it's so silly I just can't. There were other ways to get there. First of all, he's been there long enough to know that not listening to Abby is a bad idea, even if she doesn't know it yet. She will, though, once her once she has her degree and some regular dick again, try telling her anything that, guys, we're just all about dicks tonight. Also, dick, 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 dick. Yes. Also, a tank, really? Of all the unrealistic things they could have thought of, they came up with that? The staff is better than me. I would have been on the L five minutes after I heard. What's good about this episode is great. What's bad tanks, so 7.5. All right, Daniel, I will hand off. At Topher, so this episode really kicks off one of my favorite relationships in the entire series, Frank and Pratt. I never quite remember when I uh, rewatch where it's located in the series, just that it's coming, and it's always a nice surprise when it comes up. Like, oh, it's this episode, which is what I've been doing for the last (laughs) three weeks. Oh, it's this episode. (laughs) (laughs) seeing Frank's growth in this episode is great Uh, for a character we literally met in the very first episode of ER we haven't known as much about him as uh, at least I would have liked we knew he was a cop and an asshole but not a whole ton else and when this episode comes and we're introduced to his wife and daughter and instead of going all inspiration porny about his daughter being disabled we instead learn that Frank would move the stars for her and that to his family he's constantly praising his new team in the ER and we know this kicks off a sort of reckoning for him to deal with himself But I also really love Pratt's growth in this episode. Uh, His choice to stay for Frank isn't something we would have he would have done earlier on in his story. But he stays and he fights for Frank. And I love that he's becoming the better doctor for it. And their interactions, chef kiss. The tank plot was honestly just lighthearted and ridiculous enough to help what would have otherwise been a depressing episode that could have very quickly approached all in the family levels of tragedy. And it also sort of kicks off Morris's growth, too. I think it's the moment that we can clearly see the show is investing in this character for the long haul. At the very least, enough to send a tank after him. And some advice for Morris, listen to Abby. She's usually right. 
Sam and Luca, well, let's just say this episode perfectly exemplifies why I don't like Sam. Her constant self-sabotage and victim complex are just too much. All said, I really love this episode. Looking back, it might be my favorite of season 10. And, All right, then. We've got some polarizing stuff right? today. And then last but certainly not least, at the full-time dad, which I'm going to put a big old spoiler warning on because uh, it's uh, it's a doozy. So if for some reason you are concerned about spoilers, and I can't imagine why you would have waited until episode 217 to care, uh, but what? big old spoiler warning here. Uh, at the full-time dad, as most of you know, I'm a sucker for the touch. Uh, in season 15 episode one life after death when frank touches pratt's shoulder before they take him upstairs tears welling at the bottom of his sincere droopy eyes the first time i saw it it was like that moment in ratatouille when ego eats remy's dish and is immediately taken back to his childhood for me i was taken back to frank in the cath lab life hanging in the balance after his heart attack mumbling to pratt about the vietnam war and the black soldiers who fought alongside him while Pratt initially wants no part of the conversation until Frank utters that question, you know what you are? You are what those boys could have been. Every time I think of the power behind that hoarsely delivered line, I'm brought to tears. Pratt's face in the immediate aftermath tells you everything you needed to know. Their relationship was forged at that very moment. A few episodes later, you can see it when Frank returns to the desk and is eagerly looking for Pratt. You can see it when Pratt helps Frank through his despair after Jerry's shooting. You can see it in later seasons when Pratt helps mend fences between Morris and Frank. And you can see it in Frank's eyes as he takes a slow drink of his whiskey, face covered in tears, looking at the picture of Greg at his wake in the aforementioned season 15 episode. This show has an uncanny ability to connect the dots, even if it takes years to plot the course. That's why we're all here. That's why we love ER. I'll let everyone else break down one of the most underrated mid-season sweeps episodes of the run, but I had to talk about Frank and Pratt. Y'all killed it today. Right. Just throwing that out there. Yeah. Hot damn. And we are going insanely along in this episode compared to our normal ones, so I'm just going to do a quick goodbye. Uh, thank you all very much for listening. Please support us at Patreon at patreon.com slash San Antone Podcast. Uh, check us out on social media, Facebook, fa- facebook.com slash San Antone Podcast, and Instagram, we are at San Antone Podcast. Uh, and on behalf of us all, have a pleasant evening and a great week. Mm-hmm.